True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What in the world happened to Glaber Torres? Who is the real Adalberto Mondesi? And is it time to buy Carlos Correa. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, October 20th. Frank Stanfield joined by a man who has endured endless amounts of pain when it comes to Atlanta, Georgia sports. He is Scott White. Scott, I don't I don't even know what to say, man. I am sorry between the Falcons. I wasn't here. I wasn't around for the Falcons. I don't know, you know, how you handle it. I assume it was quite bad because how else can you handle it? But now the Braves, the 3-1 how much can one man take, Scott? Yeah, I think that twenty-eight to three, the the infamous twenty-eight to three comeback for the Patriots in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. I, I think that the podcast the next day from that is is probably one for the archives because I was, uh, yeah that that was that was a uh, some some depressed a, a depressed little monologue at the beginning of that one and and. I mean, the good news is I, I kind I, I know I can't really feel that level of pain again. I mean, that 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 level of pain was so intense. I I didn't know it at, at the time, but it is severely diminished my ability to enjoy football because I just I can't I, I can't react to anything that's happening in real time because it just seems like it could disappear in an instant. You know, like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel real until it's over. And if you're not enjoying it along the way what's the point, you know? So, uh, yeah. So this, I mean, what I try to remind myself, uh, with this instance, the Dodgers coming back to beat the Braves in seven to go to the world series against the Rays. What I try to remind myself is that if they hadn't gone up three, one, you know, there would be nothing disappointing about this at all. The Braves weren't supposed to beat the Dodgers. The Dodgers, in in my opinion, are the best team in baseball. And, uh, you know, I was was encouraged that the Braves got as far as they did, frankly, because we've gotten so used for 20 years to first-round playoff exits. Um, So that's what I try to remind myself. If if they had... I'll admit when they went up three to one, I assumed they were going to the world series and that was wrong of me. I shouldn't have assumed that. And uh, 
just a good reminder. 3-1 leads have been blown before. Of course, Cleveland Indians in the World Series to the to the Cubs a couple years ago. The Braves themselves in the 96 NLCS against the Cardinals came back from down 3-1, only to get their hearts broken in the World Series after going up 2-0 on the Yankees. But uh, we don't have to get into that. that. That's probably second, by the way. And sports fan disappointments to the the Falcons blown lead in the Super Bowl but I, I you know the the Falcons blown lead in the Super Bowl to the Patriots up 25 with roughly a quarter to play like that's that that you know that, that I got inoculated from <laughs> from pain I, I I'm not saying I can't feel it but it's a milder version yeah no that makes sense you know like there's no recovering from that so anything after that I mean, look, if, if the Braves were up, I don't even want to say it because I, I don't even want to like speak it into existence, but if the Braves were ever up three zip in the World Series and, and you know something happens there, like, all right, that would be pretty bad too. But man, 28 to three, like once you felt that, like I don't think anything else compares. So uh, I'm sorry, Scott. I, I was hoping to start this podcast with a big congratulations, but of course uh, the World Series is set and it is the Tampa Bay Rays going up against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Heck, on the other side, the Rays almost blew a three-zip lead themselves. So, going mm-hmm. up against uh, the Houston Astros in the ALCS. Real quick, Scott, before we get into our shortstop position preview, what are your thoughts on the uh, World Series? Any picks here? Well, I'm going to pick the Dodgers. Yeah. Because, like I said, I think they're the best team in baseball. Certainly possible the Rays could beat them. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to pick the Dodgers. I would... I would be surprised if Randy Arozarena kept it up. I don't think he's nearly as good as he's shown. Uh, I, I haven't watched a lot of the race playoff run, to be honest, because I could just, I can only carve so much time out for watching baseball on a given day. And obviously my focus was on the Braves. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll be interested in seeing more of Arozarena for myself. Uh, but from what I know about him, uh, that that seems like something that can't, come close to being sustained. Uh, I hadn't watched a lot of Corey Seager this year until this series against the Braves. And he, of course, had had great numbers. He had even better stat cast numbers. Like he underperformed his expected stats by a considerable margin, if you can believe it. I mean, his his data looked like Mike Trout. Um, and then so seeing him in that NLCS, where of course he was, hit five home runs, one MVP. I mean, every time he came up, it was like, oh gosh, <laughs> we're not going to be able to get this guy out. Uh, so it was, it, it got me thinking about my shortstop rankings, to be honest, if I can, <laughs> if I can segue into that. Cause currently I have him. Oh, you can't say Scott. We, it's, it's a surprise. Is it? Yeah. We're going to reveal it to everyone in just a little bit, but maybe that's why you have him so high is because you finally got that up close look at Corey Seager. Well, oh, I'm wondering if I should have him higher. And that is something that we could talk about. But realistically, looking at your rankings, I I think he's in a pretty good spot. I don't I don't know that you can actually make the argument for him to be higher than where you have him. But we will talk about that. Today on the show, we are doing our early 2021 shortstop position preview, another position like third base that is just extremely deep. So we will uh, get into that. Have a little bit of a game later on. Hopefully, we can... Uh, Get to that as well. A little, little bit of guess who. New game here, Ooh, Scott. Yeah. I play that a lot. 
Yeah. This yeah. is probably different. This a is little, probably a little harder. different. But that was the the premise, right? When I was discussing this with other minds, we were talking about the the board mm-hmm. game Guess Who, which is yeah. very fun. Yeah, it's you you, you want to try and think of different questions to ask in the board game because you kind of exhaust your supply. Like, how many times can you ask? Does your person have yellow hair? Like, you go through all the hair colors. <laughs> and, you know, there's some that you're afraid to ask because it may not be PC. And then there's, you know, there, there's always the earrings question. Like, does your person have earrings? And then, you know, some people, it's hard to tell if it's part of their earrings or their earlobes and you don't want to, like, throw your kid off and... And, and 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 make it so he can't possibly win just because he didn't see the earrings. So that's that's my those are my quibbles with the board game. But I, I look forward to playing your version. Uh, Scott has clearly played. I'm not going to say more Guess Who than me, but definitely has played it more frequently, like more recently than I have because I haven't played Guess Who in a long, long time. The last thing I'll mention just for uh, getting back to the World Series. By the time you're listening to this, you might know if that's right top prospect Wander Franco is being called up for the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we're recording this Monday night and there is a picture that is circulating around the internet of Wander Franco with a World Series patch jersey uniform. So, man, that would uh, that would make the World Series a little bit more interesting. Not that it's not interesting already, but um, man, it would be fun to see that if it actually happens. All right, shortstop. Number one, Scott. No, not really any surprise here. Let's jump right in. Who do you have at the top? Tatis. Fernando Tatis Jr. is number one. He is a top five player going into next year. Top four, probably, in five-by-five leagues. Probably not top five in a points league. I, I think, like Ronald Acuna, there's going to be a discrepancy between the two formats there. First round value in both, but you know, maybe not among the super elite in points leagues, but obviously with the steals potential he shows and as scarce as that category is along with everything else, he gives you the big steals total. He, he gives you the big power. Uh, a lot of my concerns about him coming into the season, I, I, I had him among my bust candidates as I'm sure many people remember. Uh, he, he eliminated a lot of those concerns, the strikeout rate in particular. The strikeout rate was really good from Tatis. It wasn't just okay. It was it was good. It was a big step in the right direction. His numbers in September actually weren't so hot. He he had kind of a bumpy finish, but uh, I if if you just look at the numbers on the whole, and particularly there with the improvement he made in the strike made in the strikeout rate, the uh, him continuing to run at a good pace, which was something else I was concerned about. Uh, yeah, he's, he's clearly number one. He, I, I think he's, I think he's basically Ronald Acuna of the infield. I think that's how we should think of him now. Little less proven, I guess, but, uh, they're going to be, they're going to be battling it out at the top of the rankings for a long time. I think. Again, that is Fernando Tatis at the top of Scott's shortstop rankings, number one. And I don't really think that you can make the argument for anyone else. Like, I've seen some people talk about maybe Trey Turner first overall. That just seems a little bit out there to me. I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to do that. But huge improvements for Tatis specifically in the plate discipline, as you mentioned. Uh, But his his first 143 career games, that's 2019 and 2020 combined, 
301 batting average, 39 home runs, 111 runs scored, 98 RBI, 27 steals, and I have no issue, uh, like no concerns about the steals coming down because Jace Tingler was the was one of the bench coaches for the Texas Rangers back in 2019. He was in charge of their base running, and they wound up leading all of baseball in, in steals in 2019. Comes over to the Padres in 2020, and obviously they're super aggressive on the base path. So I would expect that to keep up again in 2021. Uh, Scott, it sounds like you don't really have any issues with the, the September. The, the biggest thing for me is that month by month, his ground ball rate went up. It was 40%, 47 and then 52%. So I, I don't really like to see that, but... Ultimately, like his stack cast numbers were so good, I don't think that you can let the ground ball rate like affect how you view Fernando Tatis. Yeah, I don't think so either, especially since the power has been there in spite of it two years in a row now. I mean, at what point are you just going to say, okay, it, it's not really a big deal? Uh, it's not. It's not as bad of a ground ball rate as we've seen from Vladimir Guerrero or as we've seen from Juan Soto, frankly, at times. Uh, I, I think Fernando Tatis falls into the category where he can he can get by with a high-ish ground ball rate. And the early ADP, I've referenced these early mock drafts that we have going on in the industry. His early ADP is 3.2, just behind Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna, just ahead of Mike Trout and Juan Soto. So after Fernando Tatis, Scott, who do you have second at shortstop? I think there's room for debate here, but I have Trevor's story just because that feels like the foolproof pick three years in a row now he's basically proven how good of a hitter he can be playing with the benefit of playing home games at Coors Field uh, his strikeout rate improved actually a little more this past year I'm I'm not sure over a two-month sample I, I really read much into that what was more interesting is is how his steals pace pace improved he had 15 through a little more than a third of a season, right? Yeah, just 59 games. Yep. Yeah, his career high was 24, I want to say. So he was on pace for a career high pretty easily. Uh, Obviously, that pace could have slowed. Steals generally don't keep a steady pace over the full season. So maybe he would have become less aggressive over time. But if there's a chance he's a... 30 steel guys, 27 was the previous high. Did you say that? Uh, if there's a chance he's a 30 plus steals guy in addition to everything else he does with the bat, I mean, obviously that. I, I, look, he's probably an easy first rounder in five by five anyway. I think the only dispute is whether you want him or Trey Turner ahead and uh, whether or not Trevor Story still deserves to be a first round pick in a points league where the steals help, but they're obviously not critical. Yeah, I, I think Trevor Story is probably not a first-round pick for me in points leagues, and I've talked about this before, but with Rockies players, you do want a little bit more consistency in a head-to-head points league because obviously you have a weekly matchup every single week. You're going up against somebody else, and you, know, you can't really afford to just, all right, I'm going to take these down weeks from Trevor Story and any other Rockies players while they're playing on the road. And of course, Story, like all the other Rockies players, has had drastic home road splits in his career. So I don't think he's a first-round pick in a head-to-head points league. I do think that he is a bona fide first-round pick in a 5 by 5 roto league, but I actually do prefer Trey Turner over Trevor Story slightly and it's because of the 
improvements in the power output that we saw from uh, Trey Turner this year. And I, I do still look at him as a safer source of stolen bases and just a higher upside in that category. If you compare their last 162 games, uh, last 162 games each, Trevor Story, 297, 37 home runs, 116 runs scored, 85 RBI, 85 RBI over last 162. That is very surprisingly low for Trevor Story. Uh, and then the 30 steals. Trey Turner, last 162, uh, 314 batting average, so higher there. 29 home runs, 8 less, 132 runs scored. So that is 16 more, uh, 91 RBI. So actually more RBI from Trey Turner over the last 162 and 39 stolen bases. So I think it's really close, Scott, but I do prefer Trey Turner, who you have third just behind Trevor Story. I do, and a notable stat, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking more about five-by-five five leagues with these rankings, but for points leagues, Trey Turner actually had more head-to-head points per game than not just Story, but also Fernando Tatis this past year, which shows you how productive he was. Uh, and Turner I, finished higher in Roto than Tatis, too, because of that late-season slide from Tatis. Turner finished as, as the number one shortstop and the second overall player in Roto Leagues behind only Shane Bieber. Yeah, that's interesting. Did I know Story had the most steals of the three, and I don't, you know, I, I still think of Trey Turner as the most trustworthy steal source of them. Okay, so Trey Turner was second with 12, and then mm-hmm. Fernando Tatis had 11. Because uh, remember, Turner, it took him a long time to get his first one. Oh, yeah. People were like, what is going on? People were freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he eventually finished with 12, and I'm sure he would have had his usual 35 to 40 if the season had played out and if he had stayed healthy, which factors into the equation here. Uh, he's he's had four seasons where he began with the big league club, and only two of them he played a, you know, only two of the four did he not miss a significant amount of time and one of them was obviously this 60 game season which you know I'm not even sure that counts because there wasn't nearly there wasn't a lot of time to get hurt so he, mm-hmm. de- he definitely has an injury history there but the bigger issue for Trey Turner and why ultimately ranked Trevor Story ahead at least in five by five play where I think the output is a little closer is because the big spike in power for Trey Turner I'm just not sure a two-month sample of that is is something I could weigh heavily at all. Mm-hmm. Like he had two months where he hit for more power than ever before, but it it goes back to it was just two months, and certainly uh, a player can have a two-month stretch like that and and then regress back to his his normal power output. So it it's certainly possible he found a new gear as a hitter, and he's going to be somebody who threatens to hit 30 plus homers how many did he finish with he finished with he finished with 12. 12 so that would have put him on pace for over 30 and his previous high was 19 yeah and I, now, I would, he did it 19 and 122 games last year so that would have translated to like 24 25 yeah uh but still that's that's still a big jump so what, what would it have been exactly a 34 homer pace yeah, I wouldn't expect that from Turner, but yeah. 20, 25, I, I think Turner can get there. I think Turner can get to 25 home runs. See? Well, if he stays healthy, I would agree. He can, because he was on that kind of pace in 2019, too. I, I think 25 is within the realm of possibility, and maybe he's a 25, 35 guy with 
Um, the other thing is he hit 335. I mean, that's obviously the highest he had hit, uh, apart from a crazy rookie season. He the highest he had hit was 298. So uh, I don't expect him to be a batting title contender, but he'll have a solid batting average, and I think is certainly a first rounder. And I, I think in points leagues, uh, I might flip him to be honest. I think that makes sense too. Um, you mentioned the the next gear that Trey Turner got to in the shortened season. That's you know. This is one of those, Trey Turner is really one where I would have liked to see it play out. Like, would he have kept this, uh, all these improvements up that he made? Because he lowered his strikeout rate. In 2019, it was right around 20%. In 2020, it was a career best 13.9. So that, that's a that's a pretty big drop in strikeout rate. He was making a lot of contact this year. And I, I looked into his distribution, his spray chart, and he went this Tim Anderson route where he started going to all fields. So it seems like he just became a more complete hitter overall, which lends itself to the batting average being higher than ever before. Probably not 330, but can we see Turner hit 300, 310, 315? I think so. I think that's within the yeah. realm of possibility for uh, Trey Turner. So it's extremely close. We're splitting hairs here, but uh, I would prefer Trey Turner over Trevor Story. Uh, Scott prefers Trevor Story, of course. Scott, uh, so after those three, who do you have number four, Scott? Number four, I have Francisco Lindor, who did not have a very good season. No, he did not. But he it, he didn't do anything that different. Yeah, he that's didn't do what I, anything that different. If, if you look at his expected stats uh, across the board, virtually identical to 2019, 276 versus 278, next BA, 467 to, versus 441, and next slug. Uh, 336 versus 333 in ex-WOBA. Hard hit rate, almost identical. K rate, almost identical. Um, average exit velocity, down like one mile per hour. Not like a, not like a drastic change there. He, 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 was, he, I, he was Francisco Lindor. Um, and I'm not going to say he didn't underachieve at all, because he did. But I think it's magnified by the fact it was a 60-game season where you had somebody like Trey Turner doing things he'd never sustained before. And uh, just you had you had those outlier performances that obviously wouldn't have sustained over a full 162-game season. And so when Lindor kind of does his normal thing, but on the lower end of it, it looks a lot worse than it would have looked. Uh, when everybody else's numbers had a chance to normalize. I mean, I do think Lindor's themselves probably would have normalized up some, but I think it was just as much an issue of other players' numbers needing to normalize down to get him where he deserved to be in the rankings. I think that makes a lot of sense, too. In 2020, he had 258, eight home runs, 30 runs scored, 27 RBIs, six deals, and played all 60 games outside of 2019, where... He started the year on the IL because of a calf issue that he suffered in spring training. The guy has been an Ironman. Like, he usually plays most, if not all, the games year in and year out. So, again, this is Francisco Lindor. I couldn't really find anything, like, that was wrong with him. The only thing, maybe, is his BABIP was 280. He's a career 290, 298 BABIP guy. And he did have a career best 25.6% line drive rate. So, based on him hitting more line drives than ever, you would imagine... The Babip should have at least been in his career mark, maybe even better than that. So um, I think that's probably why this, we see the batting average a little bit lower than expected. His early ADP 
17.2, just behind Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger, and Christian Yelich. Just behind him, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Does this range make sense to you, Scott, for Lindor? Yes, that sounds like exactly where I'd slot him. Mm-hmm. I, I think I agree with... I, I don't think there's a player on either end of Lindor there that I would disagree with. So it sounds like... Sounds like uh, there's some consensus there. Yeah, and one of the big questions in the offseason will be, is he playing for Cleveland next season? Because they seem to trade players away before they have to you know, pony up this big money or extensions and Francisco Lindor is entering a contract year. So it's going to be interesting to see, uh, does he... Does he get traded? Does he start next season in Cleveland? And then he's traded midseason if they're not competing. Uh, so all those things are in question when it comes to Francisco Lindor. But you know what? It might not hurt if he actually changes scenery because his RBI output, yes, he's been leading off, but Cleveland's lineup outside of him and Jose Ramirez has not been very good. So change of scenery might actually help someone like Francisco Lindor. And speaking of helping yourself... You should help yourself by checking out our new sponsor, and that is Express Clothing. We mentioned them last week. Very excited to have Express here as a sponsor on Fantasy Baseball today. True story. Like, my friends and I, we would actually text each other uh, routinely about Express deals when they were going on. Like, they have these crazy flash sales. Their clothes are awesome. And I've mentioned the V-necks that you've seen me wearing before here on the podcast, you're watching on our YouTube channel. Uh, They're all express and they're all super comfortable. The deal that we are offering you today is $25 off your next $50 purchase from Express. All you have to do is text the word baseball to 397-737. Again, text baseball to 397-737. This is the new Express, all about comfort, fit, and their different versatile styles that they offer. Speaking of those different styles that they offer, I just hit up their website and I'm looking at their comfort zone, which features a bunch of items for the fall. I've actually been meaning to upgrade my fall wardrobe, but you could do so as well at Express. I'm looking at these Henley shirts that they have, $22 denim button down, which is just 30 bucks. If you're into hoodies, sweaters, they have all different types of assortments of fall clothing and, and different styles there. I actually own a cardigan from Express myself that is super comfortable and stylish and very warm as well. Uh, so again, whatever you need, Phoenix, you need a suit, you need a blazer, you need some fall clothing, Express has you covered. Remember that $25 is a deal that we're offering. $25 off your next $50 purchase at Express by texting baseball to 397-737. I've already done it myself. They text you back with a link with a discount. It's super easy. Text baseball to 397-737. All right, Scott. After Francisco Lindor... Who do you have next at number five? Well, here's where Corey Seager comes in. Yeah. And here's where I wonder, particularly after the season Lindor just had, uh, is it worth dropping him behind Seager? Considering nobody else is doing it, that that probably answers it right there. But, I, I mean, I kind of got into Corey Seager's season already. His, his, uh, his stat cats measurements were just... Off the charts. Insane. Yeah. Top 5% in basically every batted ball metric. 
his, his expected stats had him hitting like 330 and slugging like 630, right? Like, uh, which maybe if you combine his playoff stats with his regular season stats, that's about where he's at. I don't know. I, I mean, he looks like somebody who deserves to go in the first round. It's just, uh, you know, that was after a season where he very much underwhelmed. Um, and then you're talking about a two-month sample where who knows who knows uh, how those numbers might have normalized. So I think I think caution is warranted, but I'm optimistic about him personally and as many shares as I had in Corey Seager this past year, I hope to have just as many next year. Yeah, and if you are worried about health when it comes to someone like Trey Turner, I, I think it has to at least creep into your mind when it comes to Corey Seager. He's dealt with so many different things and he's had different kinds of surgeries as well. Um, he will be 27 years old at the start of the... Uh, at, in April 2021, so he will turn 27 early on in the season, but he's right in that prime age and just what he's done in the postseason, what he's done all season. You mentioned a, a 307 batting average and a 585 slug, and his expected numbers were even better than those. So 650 slug is what it. 653 is what is the expected slug. Yeah, was. 653 x slug yeah. and a 330 xba, which. Mm-hmm. It is just bonkers for uh, Seager. And, and we said before the season, like his best case scenario, if he stays healthy, is being Freddie Freeman from the shortstop position. And that's kind of what he was. Yeah. He hadn't shown Freddie Freeman's power ceiling. It was more uh, like the line drive rate that I was looking at there. But now he has. I mean, now 60-game season, only two months. So, you know... That that obviously uh, you obviously have to you, you can't just assume it would have played out that way over a full six months, but it certainly seems more plausible to call him that now than it did before. And last year we were getting Corey Seager in the middle rounds, like rounds ten through twelve, and his early ADP is forty four point one, so does climb up quite a bit. Looking at a fourth round pick for Corey Seager as of now, but that is still. 13 picks behind Xander Bogarts, a name you haven't heard yet. No, and no. 22, 22, seriously, 22 picks behind Bo Bichette. People are excited about Bo Bichette. So hmm. Seager looking like an early value based on Scott's rankings here. Uh, we haven't heard either of those names yet. And when we get to number six right now, Scott, we still will not get to either of those names. No, we're going Tim Anderson. Curious to see where he ends up in your magical little ADP there, which was how many how many drafts are being considered for that? These are nine drafts that are going on. They're 15 okay. team roto drafts and being done with a bunch of different people uh, from the industry who play in high stakes leagues as well. So it's a combination of people who seemingly know what they're doing, but yeah, you know, a lot of people are obviously paying paying attention to football at this time of year. So uh, things can fall, fall through the cracks, obviously. Yeah, there was a case to be made, at least in a five-by-five five context, because you lower him some in a points league. He doesn't walk much at all, Tim Anderson. But certainly in a five-by-five five context, there was a case to be made just looking at his 2019 numbers that he deserved to be an early rounder. He won a batting title, 335, 18 homers, 17 steals, and that was in only 123 games. So you could certainly see him uh, going like 25 homers, 20 steals with that high batting average. But that's, you know, you had to assume those 2019 stats were entirely 
on the up and up. And now we can, I think, as he followed it up, uh, hit 322, actually had a higher OPS in 2020 than in 2019. Still doesn't walk at all, but the improvements he's made as a hitter, I, I think we can say are legit now. He doesn't hit the ball in the air very much. And though he's fast, he doesn't run very much. He had five steals and seven attempts in his 49 games. So, I mean, obviously that's, that's a useful steals total, useful steals pace. Uh, but we've only once ever seen him steal 20 bases in a season. So it's, uh, you, I, I think he's a guy who people always presume he's going to steal more bases than he actually does. Um, and I think there might be presumption he's going to hit more home runs than he actually will. But I think 2020 is on the table with a great batting average. And in a five by five league, as hard as it is to fill batting average and stolen bases later in the draft, he deserves to go pretty early. And early is where he is going thus far. The ADP at 48.7. So up fourth, fifth round pick in that range and going just behind Corey Seager. I wanted to bring this up to you, Scott, and you let me know what you think. Last 162 games played for Francisco Lindor, 270 batting average, 30 home runs, 105 runs, 78 RBI, 22 steals. Last 162 for Tim Anderson, 322, 26 home runs, 118 runs, 71 RBI, and 17 steals. So 50 more points of batting average, four less home runs, 13 more uh, runs scored, seven less RBI, and and five less steals. So not really dissimilar. And Tim Anderson's probably going to go like three or four rounds later than for Francisco Lindor. So that's just an early kind of, you know, people like to do these comps like, oh, I could get this guy this many rounds later. That's one that stood out to me early on was Lindor versus Tim Anderson. Yeah, I... I I would say that during that those 162 games, we've probably seen Tim Anderson perform at his best, and Francisco Lindor, at least for at least for the portion of that that was included this season, it was probably at his worst. So that's something to keep in mind that Lindor at least was even with Anderson for that stretch. I mean, nobody's taking Anderson over Lindor, so I I, I think no no and it kind of goes without saying, but worth pointing out. Yeah, and you shouldn't. I still think Lindor is far away safer than someone like uh, Tim Anderson, but just thought that was interesting. I want to remind everyone that the UEFA Champions League is back with every match streaming on CBS All Access. Messi, Neymar, Lewandowski, icons of today, but the next generation is not far behind. Match day one of the group stage is here this week, and you don't want to miss any of the drama from the world's most prestigious tournament combined with the world-class coverage of CBS Sports. Go to cbs.com slash UCL to start your free trial today. The UEFA Champions League, there's nothing like it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we still have to talk about uh, some very polarizing names in Adalberto Mondesi, Bo Bichette coming up, Glaber Torres, and more. We'll do that here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Number seven on your early shortstop rankings, Scott, is... It's Adalberto Mondesi, but... Damn. Strictly, strictly, strictly a five-by-five play here. There might not be a single player whose uh, draft position will be more different in between five-by-five and points leagues. So I have him, what, seventh here in this format? I'd have Mondesi 13th in a points league. So big drop for him there. And obviously it's the steals, right? He had uh, he had 50% more steals than anyone else this past year. And I think it was only four guys who were, had even half as many steals as Mondesi did. So he could literally carry you in that category. And um, you know, obviously has a track record of running a ton. So... That you can count on, you can count on from him. And given where we are with stolen bases, that alone makes him plenty valuable in this format. So, as a hitter, who is he? I, I don't think we really know. I, I'm, the profile is horrendous, plate discipline awful, uh, doesn't elevate, doesn't hit the fly balls and or the line drives you'd want a lot of ground balls, not. Not really anything you want to see from him as a hitter. And yet he had this monster September at the plate. And certainly we've seen stretches from him that have been about that good in the past. I know entering last year, I was very excited about him. And maybe like maybe he got off to a terrible start because he was coming off shoulder surgery, you know, and, and then and then maybe September was tr- closer to his true form. I, I, I find that hard to believe given how bad the data is, but... I, I think you at least have to have to be open to the possibility Mondesi is going to be adequate with the bat. And if he's adequate with the bat, he's probably going to return like second round value. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't in this format with steals being as important as they are, I, I really can't justify ranking him lower. Yeah. And the early ADP is pick 35. So that'll put him right in, not in a, in a dissimilar spot than where he was going heading into the 2019 season. Late third, early fourth round pick. Uh, he's sandwiched right between Luis Robert and DJ LeMahieu right now. So uh, very different players in that range. Some very risky and obviously a very safe one in DJ LeMahieu, at least and, we presume. And that means he's going ahead of Seager and Anderson, who I rank ahead of him, right? Yes, he is. And, and again, these mock drafts that we're doing are for Roto. And 
You mentioned how he can single-handedly win you the stolen base category. His last 162 games, 67 stolen bases for Adalberto Mondesi. And the next closest is Jonathan VR with 56 during the span since the start of the 2019 season in 53 more games. VR played 53 more games and had 11 less steals. Like That is legitimately how fast and how impactful Adalberto Mondesi can be in that category. Is he a good header? I don't know, and I don't know that anybody actually knows the answers to that, but I tend to lean towards, I think he got off to the slow start because he was coming off shoulder surgery. So take that for what it's worth, but I think that he will actually be worthy of this ADP, assuming that he doesn't even need to stay healthy for the whole season. If he plays 130, 140 games and gives you 50 steals and double-digit home runs, he pays off. He pays off his value, so... uh, a name to pay attention to, undoubtedly, in the offseason. But, Scott, after Adalberto Mondesi, at number eight, you have... This is where Xander Bogarts comes in. And of the ADPs you've mentioned so far, that's his has been the most surprising to me. He's, he's going ahead of Seager, right, also? He's going right around 30, uh, just oh around so, Ozzy wow. Albies and Anthony Rendon. Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, just compared to... The, so that would make him the fourth... The shortstop going off the fifth shortstop going off the board. Yes. Here's why I think that's the case. He stole eight bases this year. He stole four bases last year in 155 games. So what are what are we doing there? I, I think we are I, I think we are projecting a little too much over what was kind of a fluke uh, fluke steals output. And I think it was he had a year recently, like 2017 or something like that, where he had a ton of stolen bases early and then finished with like well, if it was 2017, it was 15 that he finished with. That yeah. that is his career high to this point. Uh, so he's never been a big base stealer. And I, Obviously, I eight, eight, and fifty-six games—that comes out to a good pace. But I mean, the guy's been around a long time. He's twenty-eight years old now. Like, I, I don't see him becoming this thirty steals guy all of a sudden. What are we doing? No, it's not. There's no chance. Well, I don't want to say there's no chance, and then it happens. But there's a very minimal chance that Xander Bogarts becomes a thirty steal, or, or uh, even twenty-five. Yeah, I, I don't think. So. I, I think realistically, you can project ten to twelve. All right. So after Bogarts. Uh, who do you have, number nine, Scott? Number nine, that's where I come in with Bo Bichette, who in terms of fantasy points per game at the position was behind only Turner, Tatis, Seeger, and Story. Bichette had the fifth most. So I guess, I, I guess there's a justification for him to go as high as he's going, but if you break down the season, basically he was a monster for a very short stretch uh, of a few weeks. There were a few weeks where he was just awesome, and then he went on the IL with a sprained knee, came back and was completely ineffective, struggled to make contact, struggled to elevate the ball. His final numbers ended up being... I mean, they still ended up being pretty good, obviously, for him to have that many points per game, but uh, hit 301 with an 840 OPS, five home runs and four steals. And pretty good. 29 games is what we're talking about here. Is 29 games enough to change your opinion on a player, especially since the, the, the results were, were mixed? I mean, I don't know for sure that he came back too early from the knee injury, and that's why he was struggling down the stretch. I, I You could make that argument, but it 
it, it could just be that he was due for some regression anyway. Like 29 games of uneven production, uh, 29 games anyway, isn't going to be much, isn't enough to move my opinion on a player that much. And so uh, I'm, I'm kind of reverting to my priors here on Bo Bichette and just kind of dismissing 2020 as uh, need more information. Yeah, so this one is really tough, and I think that there is a world of upside with Bo Bichette, so I understand why people are excited about him, and I want to be excited about him, but with an early ADP of 22.7, that's you, insane. you are drafting that's... a guy in the second or third round that has 75 career games under his belt, but you know what, <laughs> you, you know what kind of vibes I'm getting here, Scott? What, what was the same thing that we were saying last offseason for a guy that you know had right around 75, 80 career games and was being drafted in the second round? Fernando Tatis. It was Tatis, yeah. So I, I don't know that he has the same upside, but like, no. given the pedigree, I, I'm not going to rule it out. You know, I'm not going to rule out Bo Bichette becoming a top five player for fantasy in 2021. I don't think that it's impossible. I really like what I've seen thus far. 75 career games, 307 batting average, 16 home runs, eight steals. StatCast really liked him this year. 291 XBA, 523 X slug. His X slug was actually higher than his actual slugging percentage. But StatCast didn't really like him last year. For that is correct. Um, a 26% line drive rate in 2020. That's above league average. He hits to all fields. In an up-and-coming lineup, I understand why people like Bichette, but that is a... That is just a really, really big price tag, and I wish it's, it was just a little bit lower, but if, if it stays there, it, it's going to be hard for me to buy in. Yeah, it's unnecessary uh, unnecessary aggression because, I mean, even if you just... So he's played uh, 74 games, you said, 75 games. So even if you double that, 150 games, uh, 32 home runs, 16 steals, a 307 batting average, obviously really good numbers, mm-hmm. but do you feel safer about Bichette giving you close to that or Bogarts or Seager. Um, I mean, I, I obviously feel better about those other two. Uh, Scott at 10, 11 and 12, these are all very polarizing players. And we'll, we'll have more time to talk about these guys in the off season, but you have Glaber Torres, Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, uh, choose one of these guys that you see yourself gravitating towards, um, potentially having a bounce back season in 2021. Well, all of them I do. Yeah, because they're all bad. I I expect to enjoy the discount on all of them. The one that I felt like you could maybe see coming, although I never predicted this bad, was Javier Baez, who had built his production on an outlier BABIP and home run to fly ball rate. And while he had shown the ability to repeat that year after year, uh, there was going to come a year where he just wasn't as much of an outlier and what would his numbers look like. Uh, I, I... you know, he's 27. So I don't think he's just lost his ability to play baseball. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I, hopefully he comes at the kind of discount that'll make him easy for me to buy next year. The one I'm having a hard time with exactly where to rank him is Carlos Correa, who I, I, we've had this conversation before where, given how short the season was relative to the postseason, should we just? fold postseason stats in with regular season stats in when evaluating players. Um, obviously, the competition level is much higher, so you, you'd think it wouldn't be totally fair. But when the hitter, like Carlos Correa hit 
five home runs during the regular season and then hit six in the postseason. So like his numbers look way different if you're factoring in the postseason or not. The postseason actually happened against tougher competition. So like I almost just want to move him to the top of this group now. I have him 12th right now. I almost want to move him up to 10th just because of that. Mm-hmm. I think part of what holds me back is the injury history, which is extensive and like even worse than Trey Turner's. Um, he's been around, gosh, his rookie year was 2016. He played 153 games that year. In four years since then, Correa has played no more than 110 games in a season. Like I, I was, I, I know he had missed some time to injuries, but I was shocked it was that he'd missed that much time. Like not even one season where he played more than two thirds of the season, roughly. Uh, so that I feel like I feel like that's reason enough to downgrade him. Whether when push comes to shove, I'll actually take him 12th versus 10th. I mean, I guess I guess we'll see. But I I expect to enjoy the discount for all three of these players: Torres, Baez, Torres, bah, Glaber Torres, Javier Baez, and Carlos Correa. And for Carlos Correa specifically, uh, I had him as a bust coming into the season. I was you know worried about the injuries. He actually managed to stay healthy. He just wasn't good. The last four seasons OPS for Carlos Correa, starting back in 2017, 941, 728. 926-709. So he's kind of all over the place, but I, I'm calling my shot right now. I really like what I saw in the postseason against stiff competition. He's entering a contract year at 26 years old when 2021 starts. His early ADP is outside the top 120. He has an early ADP of 121.9. So now, did I, they get to that point in the draft before the, the Astros had gotten very deep in the playoffs? Because these are slow-moving drafts. Yeah. Uh, well, these started maybe a week or two ago. So I, I think people might have seen some of what the Astros were doing at the time, but that is a yeah. fair point. I think even if he climbs up to 100, I'm calling the shot now, Carlos Correa in 2021 will be this past year's Corey Seager. I'm calling that shot right now, and it's <laughs> we'll see what happens in the offseason, of course. But I, I think that he'll be very motivated. Uh, we saw some of that in the postseason. And, of course, playing for his next contract at, at – a pretty young age, too, of 26 years old. Um, I'm going to be pretty excited about Correa. We didn't get to Glaber Torres. I, I promise you we will talk about him at some point in the offseason because he is super interesting as well and trying to figure out what exactly went wrong with him. But I do want to play this little quick game. Uh, and you know, now that you bring up the actual rules of Guess Who, Scott, the fact that I'm calling it Guess Who, it really does not have any of the same rules of Guess Who. Yeah, I'm basically figured. going to give you three different clues. Between each clue, you can make a guess as to who this player is. Uh, it's just, it is a shortstop, uh, a shortstop eligible player, and someone that I thought was pretty interesting based on these numbers. So are you ready, Scott? I'm ready. All right. This person's 842 OPS was seventh highest among qualified shortstops. I, I, I mean, I think I know who this is. Uh, you, you could already see the clues. By That's process right. of elimination. <laughs> All right. Posted a career-high 45% hard hit rate and a career-high 11.5% barrel rate. Those are according to Baseball Savant and StatCast, of course. And the early ADP is outside of the top 200. So, Scott, you see, you see you're saying you think you know who this is based on these oh, numbers. No. This, this guy wouldn't be outside the top 200. All right. So, what are, you, what are you thinking here, Scott? I'll give you three guesses. Guess who? It's got to be a little further down. 842 OPS. 
And, and, and you said these were career high barrel and hard hit rates posted career high, 45% hard hit rate, career high, 11 and a half percent barrel rate. All right. I'm going to go with DD Gregorius. Eh. Oh, okay. Um, oh wait, I still have this. <laughs> and an 842 OPS. Yeah. Like this, it, this player was very good and seems like an early value if, the ADP stays in this range. And it's a shortstop. I will say shortstop eligible player. I, I looked it up earlier. They played 21, had 21 appearances at shortstop. Ooh, that's a nice hint. Okay. So this isn't a guess, but I thought originally you were going with Dansby Swanson, who's 13th on my list, but he's going way earlier. I love Dansby Swanson too, by the he, way. He's not going outside <laughs> the top 200. Um, he is not, but I could pull up his early ADP to see where he is going. Is this one of those stupid batting average guys? Dansby Swanson, 106.3. Yes, has an earlier ADP than Correa at this point. Yeah. Kind of makes um, sense. You want me to guess? All right, Scott. Last guess. Wait, I, I only made one guess. Well, you kind of said Dansby Swanson, too. No, I just wanted to talk about Dansby Swanson. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, Okay, I'm going to say... I should be able to use that clue better. 21 games at shortstop. I'm going to say, yeah. I don't know. Willie Adamas. I know that's not right. And do I, do guess I number three. Use that third guess. Okay. I'll give you a third guess. Feeling generous. <laughs> I've got to be generous after. Come on, man. Feel bad. The Braves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not like Jose Iglesias, is it? Like, that's that's what I'm worried about. You doing this, Frank? No, it's not Jose Iglesias. Okay. Who's going to get excited about Jose Iglesias? Well, like, <laughs> Jose Iglesias and Miguel Rojas both had more than three fantasy points per game, which was, you know, high, like, about what Didi Gregorius was. And obviously, like, it was just all batting average. And I, they're super low on my rankings. Anyway, now, go ahead. What's now, your now you've got me uh, second guessing myself. So I want to make sure that this player actually did play, have 21 games at shortstop. Uh, no, it was 20 games at shortstop in 2020. 20 games at shortstop. 25 games in the outfield. 13 games at second base. This player is David Fletcher. Chris Taylor. Oh, okay. Chris Taylor, who I think we spoke about late in the season. I really had that. Late season surge, um, but if he has an everyday role heading into 2021, cheap exposure to a really good Los Angeles Dodgers lineup, some pretty good numbers here in 2020. So a name that I'll be paying attention to. First edition of Guess Who? Scott. And it was Chris Taylor. All right, that's it for our shortstop preview. Uh, we will have the outfield preview coming up on... Uh, the first part of a very early outfield preview, which will probably get to like 12 or 15 players if we're lucky, I hope. For Scott White, I am Frank Stample. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye.